This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 363. And the quote of the day is from Owen Meany, who said, If you are lucky enough to find a way of life you love, you have to find the courage to live it. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, and this is episode 363 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking it out. Thanks for being here. I hope everybody is well. And you probably know this already, but if you don't, you can find all these episodes. You can listen to them online if you want to at drummersresource.com. You can find them on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all that fun stuff. And also, you can find Drummer's Resource. You can find me on the interwebs, the internets, if you will. We're on Instagram at Drummer's Resource, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Drummer's Resource, and Twitter is Drummer's R. Source, long story behind that, but we'll just leave it at that. It's Drummer's R. Source. Anyway, uh, you could also sign up for the mailing list and you can get updates from me regularly so you keep an eye on what's coming out so you're not missing anything and I don't want you to I don't want you to miss things. And I admittedly have been slacking on my next Monday mix. Uh, I don't know what happened there, to be honest with you. It is one of those things that I started with the best of intentions and it fell by the wayside. But rest assured, I am gonna start that back up because I, I miss writing the emails actually. And I think one day I stopped you know, one week I didn't do it and then it turned into two and then it's turned into a month. So I'm going to get back on that. I'm, I'm human over here, people. So, uh, I try to keep up with things, but you know, like everyone else, sometimes things fall by the wayside, but I'll get back to that definitely for sure. Uh, now let's get into this conversation. This is with Carter McLean and an amazing conversation. Uh, one, I, I couldn't not talk about his, his sound. I think by, by and large, he has like just the most amazing drum sounds in the world. Uh, but that is a very small portion of the stuff that we talk about. We talk about him and his career and sort of how he was not planning on playing drums professionally and some th- how things naturally happened for him. Uh, when I say naturally happened, I mean he worked hard for these things and he was prepared for these things to happen, but some things uh, were were brought to his attention and he was like, oh, well, I'm going to actually start playing drums full time now. So it was sort of the life that chose him rather than him choosing the life. So a really interesting story behind that and just a natural progression of how things can move and how you can move throughout your career as a player. So just some amazing insights from a very, very awesome player. I love this dude's playing, probably one of my favorite drummers out there right now that's playing. And again, did I mention that he has amazing drum sounds. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into it with the one and only Carter McLean. Carter, my man, how are you? I am fantastic. I'm stuck in a blizzard, but <laughs> hopefully everything will be cool and smooth for the interview. Yeah. I I have mentioned this numerous times on the podcast that I would say 80% of the time, we talk about the weather in the beginning of the podcast. It just, <laughs> well, that's, it just happens. I don't know why. That's the general thing. Like when you see someone, oh, it's a nice day. Yeah. How's the weather? Yeah. So, oh. but you're an East Coast guy. I mean, you're used to, you're used to, you know, blizzards and, and cold weather and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I am. But if you could actually see outside of my studio window right now, you would be impressed. It's like serious. 50 mile an hour gusts and 
it's been snowing sideways since about seven o'clock this morning. So it's kind of a gnarly. I took off from going to Lion King tonight. There was no way I was going like, to forget this. Get on Metro North and have the train go down and be stuck on a cold train for the rest of the night. No thanks. No, that doesn't fun at all. I feel like I luckily got out of the East Coast like just in the nick of time. It's like I'm I'm gone and you got and the blizzard comes. So that's good. Yeah, this has been a long cold snap, man. I mean, sometimes you get it for a couple days, like three days will be really cold and then it jumps back up to like 30, 35. But this has been like almost a week and a half where when I drive home at night from the show, it's like, you know, it says five degrees or three degrees. So it's it's legitimately freezing cold out there. That's nuts. So where so you said I know that you were originally born in San Francisco, but we were just talking about it off air that you you were only there for about a year and a half and then you went right from there to Connecticut. Yeah. So I moved. I was born in San Francisco. My dad uh, had a job out there for a couple of years and then they were both East Coasters. So they were like, you know what? We kind of miss the four seasons. We're going to go back back east. Um, and it's kind of rare. I grew up in the same house in Connecticut my whole life. So once we moved there when I was like two, um, I stayed there until I went off to college and my mom stayed there. She kept the house until, you know, three years ago she sold it. So it's pretty rare, but it was cool to have a real solid home base like that to just kind of count on it. It was nice as a kid growing up. Sure. So what was it, what was it like for you growing up? What was your, what was your childhood like? Um, you know, I was super lucky, man. I had, you know, an amazing father, um, and he passed away when I was really young, um, kind of very, very unexpectedly, which was super brutal as like a 14 year old kid. Yeah. Um, and my mom is doing great. She's, I'm not going to say her age, but she's much older than I am and she looks great and she's doing great. And she just moved down to South Carolina because she finally got fed up with the cold weather up here. Like most people do. Mm hmm. And I think it's snowing in South Carolina now. Isn't it? I know. I talked to her this morning and, and she's like, we had record snowfall of two inches. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, just stay inside. Don't go outside for a couple of days. Um, but yeah, I grew up, you know, as a really young kid trying, trying out the sports thing, you know, when you're like five, six, seven years old, that's kind of what, you know, you, you get thrown into typically. And I was never, you know, I wasn't bad at sports. I just never really connected with it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found music, you know, I always listened to music. No one in my family was super musical. Like my, my mom's mother, um, had a piano at her house that I would kind of futz around on as a kid, but I didn't give it much thought. Uh, and I was terrible at piano. So, um, but I always had, I think a decent ear for music and, drumming for some reason kind of stuck out of the mix to me like i didn't hear the bass or the guitar as clearly as the drums for some reason um and the drums just kind of clicked in my head one day when i was listening to i was actually listening to bruce springsteen born in the usa and the drum beat in that song is like really simple and really clear as a bell no the, the snare is it, like it's like a really echoey snare right isn't that yeah, how it's just like <laughs> It's like these flams that he's playing. Yeah. I don't think there's even any hi-hat until like the chorus or something. I was going to say, did I just make that up? But I think that's right. Right. No, that's like, you know, and it doesn't matter. That's what we remember. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Maybe he's playing like 16th note triplets. I doubt it on the (laughs) hi-hat. But I just kind of remember kick and snare and seeing those two things in my head and going like, oh, I kind of get what the drums like is supposed to be doing in like a rock band. 
And so I, I told my mom, I was like, hey, look, like this is how you play a drum beat. And she kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? And I showed it. I was like, no, 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 look, this is the bass drum and this is the snare and this is what the hi-hat should do. And then from there, I was kind of just like pestering her to get me a kit. Um, and she saw I was really serious about it. Um, how old so were you? I was like nine. Oh, I think. okay. Okay. So that's like a pretty standard age, I think, people that play professionally end up taking it up. It's like 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. Some guys start like crazy. Like, oh, I started when I was three. I've, you know? I've either, there's, after doing all of these interviews, I've noticed that there's two ages, two age, uh, around a couple, two ages, two and three, or like eight, nine, ten, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. the two, three thing, I don't know. That's crazy to me. Like, you barely know what's happening, you know? Yeah. But, you know, you see it on YouTube. You see all these, like, little kids just, like, shredding, mm -hmm. you know? And, and the other thing that, that we not noticed about or that I've noticed and I've talked to a couple of people about, a lot of times the, the cats who started at two or three started in church. And oh, that makes sense. Reason being because they were getting dragged to church. Everyone in their family is already playing. And they just sort of naturally gravitated towards it because everyone else was playing it. And so it, it it's more of a of environmental circumstance than anything. Um, so I found that 98% of the people who I've talked to that that started at that age started in church. It, it, it totally makes sense, too, because if you give a young kid some sticks, they can hit a drum and make a sound. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It might not be like the greatest tone, but it's like an immediate thing that's kind of a natural instinct. Right. Whereas... If you gave a three-year-old a violin and said, go for it, it would be brutal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, that makes sense to me. But um, so, yeah, I mean, once I started, I kind of got really hooked quick. You know, I went, I'll just recap kind of quickly. I, I went through that, like, initial rock thing, which is, like, when I started playing, um, like, Guns N' Roses just came out with Appetite for Destruction. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was, like, the mid kind of like 85, 86. I think Appetite came out in 87 or something. So I was playing like, you know, Zeppelin and heavy rock kind of stuff. And like, you know, the Stones, the Who, um, just stuff that my, you know, my brother, after I, well, I'll skip back real quick. So I played drums for about a year, just playing to records in my basement, trying to figure out a rock beat. And then I was kind of sick of just playing to a stereo. So I have an older brother. He's two years older named Jamie McLean. Mm -hmm. And, I was like, man, you should play guitar or bass or something so we can play together because I'm sick of playing to the records. And he was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll play guitar. And he turned out to be an amazing musician and singer. He plays with Aaron Neville now. Um, Jeez. So, and he was in the Dirty Dozen Brass Band for like eight years down in New Orleans. He's oh, really? A, he's, he's a badass guitar player and singer-songwriter. Nice. Yeah. I, so, love both, um, I love both of those bands, by the way. Yeah. He's I love gonna, Aaron I mean, and I love like, Dirty Dozen. If you like that kind of style of music, you would totally dig his playing. I mean, he's he's real authentic stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so we started playing like, you know, so I might have been 10. He was 12, maybe. And we started doing like covers of like the Black Crows had just come out with that record with like um, Hard to Handle Hard was to handle on. on yep. So we were covering all like that, Stones, you know, stuff like that. Zeppelin we tried to do. And then I realized like nobody should cover Led Zeppelin. It's just a bad idea. <laughs> Um, why is that there, I feel like there's just a couple bands that shouldn't be like covered like Bob Marley is a really hard one to do mm -hmm. um, Zeppelin 
had a, I had a couple of these on my list that was like, I, I, we should never, ever cover these bands because it'll never sound remotely close to what they're doing. Right. Like Hendrix, like nobody sounds like Jimi Hendrix, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And because and, and that's what people always want. They're like, play a Hendrix tune. It's like, ah, that's touchy ground. Like, it's not easy to replicate that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so I went through that. Then I got, then my brother and I were growing up and we started fighting more. And he went off on the Grateful Dead tangent, and I went off on the Rush tangent. So we were like on, we were like the Sharks and the Jets. Like we were fighting <laughs> all the time about. I was like, man, the Grateful Dead sucks. Like you got to check out Neil Peart. And he was like, man, those guys suck. I can't stand that dude's voice. Da, da, da. You know. <laughs> and then I went through a heavy Rush kind of prog rock phase. I think most just, drummers do, don't they? Oh, yeah. I've talked to a ton of guys. They're like, yeah. And then what did you do? I was like, and then I got into jazz. And they're like, yep, that's yeah. usually what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went from like Rush to listening to like Chick Corea Electric Band and Dave Weckl and Weather Report when I was in like, I don't know, seventh grade or something. Like everything happened very quickly in the beginning. Like mm-hmm. I probably went through these like six month chunks. Um and then I got really nerdy on the jazz thing, but it was more like fusion jazz. It wasn't like Miles Davis quintet or something, um, which I found out later, like kind of when I was maybe 17, 18, when I went off to college, I discovered Tony Williams and the the quintet with Miles and was my ears just kind of exploded when I heard that kind of playing. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of bummed that I, I got into it so late. I mean, 18 seemed kind of late to me to hear Tony Williams really for the first time, but yeah. I'm glad I've. I, I found it and I still am, he's still in my top three as far as drummers go. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he, he just kind of had his own sound at a very young age and kind of redefined a kind of a specific style that was his, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I got into singer songwriters. Um, and the whole time I was playing with my brother a lot, we had a band when I was living in Colorado, um, which was like 1997 through early 2000, I lived out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we opened up for, you know, Maceo Parker and Schofield. And um, like, that's where we opened up for Charlie Hunter. And that's how I nice. met Charlie. Um, so that was really fun. And then after I was in Colorado playing with my brother, we were kind of like a bigger band in town. So we would get a lot of cool opening slots. I just was like, you know, I'm going to move to New York and see if I can hang in the city. Basically banking on that I would get chewed up and spit out within like a year and I'd move on somewhere else. But Right. Move I, I on up, move on to do something else or move on to another city? Uh, I didn't know. I just kind of said, well, like, I'm, I've done all I can out here in Colorado. Like, let's go back to New York where, like, the real heavy guys are playing and see if I can make a living at it. And if I can't, maybe I should try something else. Well, when uh, you you originally went out to to Colorado, you went to school out there, though, right? And I went to music school for like one year, uh, okay. and I, I, I looked at schools in New York. I looked at all the music schools in New York and went and visited them. And I wasn't really into the vibe walking around. I walked around a, a couple of the schools all day, and I just didn't really. It seemed like everybody was competing more than collaborating, and I wasn't looking at music as a competition. I, I wanted to collaborate with people. Mm-hmm. And so I just said I was a huge influence was I knew I was going to probably move back to New York when I got out of college. So I was a huge outdoors guy, like rock climbing, skiing, hiking, backpacking. And I knew I'd probably end up living on the East Coast the rest of my life. So I wanted to live somewhere else for a little bit in Mm -hmm. college. So I went to CU Boulder for a year, which was actually really good, man. I mean, the jazz, 
I got into like the graduate jazz band and the graduate like combos and stuff. So I was playing with really good players as a freshman and I, you know, getting my butt kicked, which was great. Mm -hmm. Um, but like the, the percussion instructor and drum set instructor and I just didn't see eye to eye. And I said, look, man, I know you're going to want me to play timpani and mallets a bunch. And I don't want to do that. I just want to play drum set and get as good as I can on that. Cause that's what I want to do. And he said, yes, that's, that that will be your program but when i actually started up the program he's like okay here we go on mallets and i'm like dude yeah, dude we talked about this yeah i said look man <laughs> i i and i said i said i when we did our interview i said i wasn't going to do this stuff he's like well it's the full curriculum you know full curriculum and you're going to have to do it like everyone else so we were butting heads from day 1 and i kind of knew my time was limited there um and i was really lucky man i got like a bunch of pretty big drum endorsements when I was young, like in high school. And so I already had a bunch of deals. I was already hanging with a bunch of pretty heavy drummers. Like Terry Bozio took me kind of under his wing for a little bit and gave me a lot of really cool advice. And he actually ended up hooking me up with a couple other companies he was with. And I just kind of said, well, you know, I could always go back to school if, you know, the playing thing doesn't work out. So Mm -hmm. why don't I try to go out now, see what happens. And if I have to, I can go back. But you know, to this day, I've never been asked, like, you know, where did you go to school? Do you have a diploma? Like, when I when I got Lion King, nobody asked me anything other than, can you play this music? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually, I went to school for music uh, and and switched to business because I said the same thing. I was like, I don't really feel like I need a degree that says I can play drums. Right. Um, but I don't know. I, I And I don't want to, like, go down the road of debating, like, whether you, you should go to music school or not, because I think it's right for some people, and I don't think it's right for other people, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I teach a lot of private kind of one-offs or, like, chunks of lessons to someone, and a lot of it at the end comes down to, like, all right, man, well, you can play at a decent level, but what do you want to do? And that's where mm-hmm. they get stumped. They just kind of, like, they see all the chops and all the odd time patterns and all the drums they have and all the right symbols they have now. And once you have all that, it the real question, which is the hardest one and why most people avoid it, is now what are you going to do? Right. You know, um, And that's something I ask all my students, and they kind of don't have an answer a lot of the time. And I'm like, you shouldn't worry about how fast your singles are or what the latest cool ride symbol or stack is. And you should actually think about what you want to contribute as a musician and where you want to be in 10 years, you know? Um, And that's something I still try to get out of every student when I teach them, because that's ultimately, I can show you a bunch of stuff, but at the end of the day, even if you have all the chops in the world, like Vinny or somebody, if you don't know where you're going, it's irrelevant, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I quit playing for a year. Uh, I was subbing at Lion King. And I was touring around with a bunch of, you know, other bands overseas and stuff. And the money started getting lower and lower. And, oh, you know, the next tour, we can't give you per diem money. And it's going to be this rate a week. And it started getting lower. And I'm like, man, I'm killing your gig. Why am I getting less now after a year? It didn't make sense to me. So I got really flustered with it. And I was really passionate about photography. And I started a photography company for a year and was actually making more money doing that than playing drums. And so I just said, you know what, I'll just always play the drums, but I'm not going to make it my job because it's hard. You're depending on a singer or a band to call you to employ you, you know, Mm -hmm. and as a photographer, you can hustle by yourself and make it happen on your own. And as soon as I had the company up and going and making decent money and getting good calls and having kind of a client list, Lion King called and said, hey, do you want to take over the book? Um, 
And that's when I kind of just made a decision like, all right, I'm, I'm all in with drums at this point. That's what right. I'm doing. Right. What's, there's a couple of things that I want to, uh, that I want to ask you about. One, it seems like you progressed quickly or, and or, or not, or it also seems like you progress quickly at other things that you try to do. So I, you know, from what I've read, you were a really good skier. You were good at rock climbing. You were, you know, you got into photography and you got really good at that. You're an amazing drummer. Is it, is it the way, do you think that you learn quickly? Do you think that, that you learn differently than other people or do you just systematically go about it a different way? No, I don't think I learned different. Like I was never really great in school. Um, I didn't get amazing grades. I mean, I did okay, but like a lot of my friends I was in bands with were like national honor society and like straight, like a plus on everything. And mm -hmm. like, you know, and I'm not a great test taker. Um, I think I, I think I'm, I can learn things quickly. It's just, I have to learn them in my own way. Um, and that's why I was never good at getting lessons from teachers because it just the way they were teaching me was so out of a book that was like a spiral binder and like, all right, page one, we're going to do this. And a lot of the stuff I could already do. And it was just kind of frustrating to me just because I had to, well, to, to backtrack, I, I started taking lessons. I mean, I'm mostly self-taught, but I had to learn how to read music at a certain point. Otherwise it was just going to be kind of a shorter road for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I did because on Lion King, you know, on a Broadway show or on a studio gig or something, you have to read charts. Even if it's just like mediocre reading, you have to understand forms of tunes and what these are for the hits. And, sure. you know, if there's rest, you got to break on one for the rest and not play through, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm basic stuff. And so I got with a teacher when I was in eighth grade. And at that point, I could kind of technically play the drums. I mean, I wasn't like fantastic, but I could play the tunes and I could listen to us like, you know, a living color tune or a Zeppelin tune and get the drum part like 95% right. But I couldn't read an eighth note rock groove on a drum set. I had no idea what that was. Um, so the, the education part of drumming to me was that, whereas the playing part and learning music was like the, just the fun adventure of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, I only I studied for like two and a half years on my reading and then I was kind of off to college at that point. Well, no, I was a junior, senior in high school at that point and I stopped taking lessons for reading. But um, I, I don't think I learned uh, faster by any means. I'm not like a you know, genius level person by any means. I, I would say the opposite. I, I'm pretty slow at a lot of stuff. But if I'm passionate about something, which I think is true for anyone, if you're super excited about cars or football or whatever, you're going to dive in, especially nowadays with the internet. You could, you can say, oh, I want to get into hand custom woodworking. And you could go on YouTube and start figuring out how you're going to make your new, like, you know, coffee table out of flamed walnut or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Um, and like the same thing, like I'm sitting in my studio today and I basically taught myself how to engineer because nowadays you kind of have to produce your own video content, your own audio for all the Instagram and everything and YouTube. And, um, you know, a perfect example of that is the more I learned about it, the better my drums and stuff sounded. So why wouldn't I want to, you know, explore that? So right. like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Charlie Hunter's coming out to the house and Shelby Johnson's coming out and we're going to do a trio record in my studio here. And I've got, you know, my Earthworks preamps, my BAE preamps. I've got my Apollo duo, got my good monitors. I've got all my good mics. 
And we're going to just track a record live over three days and see what happens. You that's know? Great. And that's just out of the passion for music. You just, mm -hmm. you know, you play with world-class musicians and it sounds amazing and you want to translate that to somebody that can hear it down the road. You know? Right, right. To sum that up, no, I, I don't think I learned faster by any means. I just think I'm, when I get into something, I get really into it. Well, and I look at, I, and you could you could use this analogy with anything. It's not just drumming. It could be, you know, financial success or business or or sports or it doesn't matter. But I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that when you are practicing, you're actually practicing. When you are figuring something out, you're actually figuring it out. So more, whether it's more discipline or whether it's more focus or whether it's more deliberate practice, there has to be some level of that in what you're doing versus someone who has been playing as long as you, who maybe even put in the same amount of time as you, but is not reaching the same level of, of skill and technical ability that you have reached. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I find that a lot when I teach. Um, Cause sometimes like when I'm on tour, I'll just have time to do one lesson with somebody, but mm -hmm. I've gotten to the point where I can sit down and watch somebody play for like 45 seconds and kind of know where they're at just technically and just musically with their ears. I mean, not, you know, obviously their whole story, but you can right. tell a lot if you just have somebody sit down and say, you know, play me a groove or a solo, whatever you want. Just sit down and play for me, like, and pretend that I'm not here listening to you. Just, just, just play. Mm -hmm. And you can tell a lot if they play a simple groove or if they play some wild drum solo at triple forte with all their licks. You can kind of tell where they're coming from just from that. Right. Um, and I, I say this a lot to a lot of people is, to me, there's a huge difference between hearing things and listening to things. And I feel like a lot of people, and that goes for just listening to music, listening to yourself, practice, analyzing things, listening to just a record that you dig. A lot of people are so distracted nowadays, myself included, by your, you know, freaking iPhone or cell phone. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to passively kind of just hear music like, oh, I'm going to hear this record. But you're not really listening to it. You're on in your car or you're talking to somebody and there's music playing, but you're not really listening to it. And if I said, you know, when I say to students, listen to the song real quick and tell me what you think of the drums, they'll say like, oh yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool beat. And I'm like, all right, cool. What kind of bass drum head do you think that that guy is using? And they kind of go like, what do you mean? And I'm like, what kind of bass drum head do you think that is? And they're like, oh, I'm not, I don't know. I can't really hear it. I'm like, that's the problem. Like you're not really deeply listening to this stuff. You're kind mm -hmm. of uh, passively listening. So it goes to like for practice for me, like if I'm going to sit down and play, I'll have some small objective. I'm not sitting down trying to reinvent my playing that day because that's not how it works. It takes years and years and years to actually even get remotely close to a speck of your own sound. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like this accumulation. It's like snow, snow, like just because I'm looking outside and it's snowing and it looks like it's snowing really hard, but it takes a while for that to accumulate. You know what I mean? So to get a four foot snowstorm, it might take a whole day or two days and it looks like it's dumping the whole time, but it takes a long time. And that's the same thing with drums. People see me play and they say, man, how'd you get your singles like that? I mean, you know, what did you do? I'm like, well, dude, I've been pra practicing single stroke roles since for 30 years, mm -hmm. you know? And if I'm telling this to a 20 year old kid, I don't care if he's been practicing since he was in the womb. I still got 10 years on him. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, and when I sit down and practice, I really listen to like every inconsistency between notes, to the articulation, to the volume, 
all of that stuff because at the end of the day on the drums man you have like loud and soft and kind of like low and high notes you know what i mean you can't you can't play some beautiful you know like brad meldow or keith jarrett chord changes on the drums i wish which you could but you can't mm -hmm. um and so you really have to take advantage of the you know very loud dynamics and the and more importantly the very 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 soft dynamics are like kind of the shit to me that's that's where all the cool stuff ends up living to me. And I've noticed when I play with Charlie, the coolest moments where we both look at each other with this kind of like, you know, huge grin on our faces is when we're barely playing any notes and it's at like triple pianissimo, you know? Because mm -hmm. there's this huge amount that could happen at any moment because there's all this space you could do stuff with. And the crowd knows that either consciously or subconsciously, but there's this kind of tension in the space. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and so this is a long-winded answer, which is what you'll typically get from me is long, <laughs> long I like, answer. I like this is a long-form podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I would just say in general, I, I think I listen maybe a little bit more carefully. Um, not, not than everybody, but then most of my students and most people that I talk to about music, they're like, oh yeah, I know that, I know that tune. And I'm like, cool, play it. And it's like a completely irrelevant drum part to the song. I'm like, man, that's not even close, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, not to say if somebody starts spitting tunes at me, I can play all of them. But like if I'm going to cover a tune or, or know a style, I'm going to try to dig into it a little bit. Sure. Well, and it comes down to from what I think that you're hearing or what, what I think that you're saying is that it comes down to not only hearing what's going on and being cognizant of that, but really being present in in what's happening and getting sort of cutting out all the clutter and getting deeper into into your listening and really being present not distracted and focused but how do, how do you how do you start practicing that how do you suggest that people whether it be finding you know the ability to be more present in general maybe not even on a musical level but then also you know in the practice room when they're listening to music when they're playing on the bandstand when they're in a conversation with someone um do you have any do you have any thoughts on that I think you hit it on the head at the last thing you said. It's like just having a conversation with someone because to me, that's all music is anyway. I mean, you've heard that analogy five trillion sure. times. It's true. It's just another language and you're just talking without words. You know what I mean? Um, at least in the best musical situations you are. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like a daily, it's just kind of like, you know, it's how you live your life. I mean, it's kind of like if you're going to go on a diet, you kind of just have to go, I'm going to change my life. I'm not going to go on a diet for a month and expect long-term results. It's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. So if you approach your daily routine with, I'm going to pay attention to whether it's a conversation with someone on the train that I don't know, or if I'm ordering a coffee with someone at Starbucks or wherever, that I'm actually looking somebody in the eye and saying, hey, how are you? You know, and and waiting for them to respond and not just cut them off and say, all right, well, have a great day and not really listening. But actually interacting with people. I know it sounds silly, but most people don't really do that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, they're kind of on their phone talking and doing stuff with other people. It's just like a lot of multitasking, which is great. Um, but I also think it's kind of a negative right now because well, multitasking isn't a real thing. Anyway, you can't do two things a hundred at a hundred percent at the well, same that's time. The problem. Yeah. It's like, well, you could send this email and the email is kind of going to be like a little choppy and you can also get this drink, but then you're going to kind of like, dis whoever you're ordering from and you're just kind of walking through floating you know what i mean you're not actually connecting with any person or any musician and you know when i 
like when I'm sitting talking to you, I can't look at you right now, but like I, I try to really listen to everything everybody says and give them a somewhat thoughtful answer instead of just repeating something that seems easy to say, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. also being really straightforward and, and kind of just coming from a place of truth and not, you know, it's really hard to make stuff up and pretend you're something you're not. That takes a lot more effort than just being yourself. Right. Um, and maybe I'm lazy or maybe I just don't want to have to backtrack and say like, did I actually say that? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and no, just, I, I just being open and honest and and actually care about interactions with people that's and that that'll come off in your plane a hundred percent and I think that you know the the idea of of being your true self and really not having to fake anything and not like you said you know come sort of coming up with these stories that you're putting out into the world and it's that is exhausting man. You know, it's oh, like yeah. living and not, not maybe not even to the extreme of living a lie, but just sort of not really being the person who you really are, you know, after a while, it's either going to get depressing or it's going to be, you know, exhausting or it's, it's going to, it's going to take its toll. And I don't think that your, your true ability is going to come out or whatever it be, whether it be drumming or, you know, anything else. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I feel like just bringing this back to drumming and playing music is, if you're kind of walking through life being a phony kind of handshake, you know, kind of person where you're just smiling and trying to get ahead and using people, that's going to come across in your plane a hundred percent. And people will know that it's not genuine. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And you can tell, especially with a drummer, when they sit down and play, if they're actually listening to the band members or if they're just like, Hey man, I've been shedding and I'm going to blow your mind right now with these fills I'm going to do. Right. You know? And that's, you know, unfortunately a lot, I'm, I'm hoping that trend is starting to taper off at this point and it's going to get back to playing good music at the end of the day and not playing mind boggling drums. You know right. what I mean? Cause right. as, and, and I can appreciate those guys that can do that stuff. It's, it is mind boggling. And I'm like, man, I don't know how many hours you spent in a room with a double bass drum, but like, that's impressive. Yeah. But to me, I can't listen to that stuff for more than like five seconds. I go, wow, that's amazing. All right. I'm going to put on Marvin Gaye now. Yep. You know, um, or like I'll put on Donny Donny Hathaway live. Like I could listen to that record every day until I die and never get sick of that. You know, <laughs> right. Right. Um, and that's how I feel playing with Charlie. Every time we sit down and play, it's just instant, amazing feel. You know what I mean? Like if you can't groove as a drummer with him, you have major problems. You mm -hmm. know, because mm -hmm. he's a great drummer. So when he sits down and plays his instrument, you have you can't do anything but play a sweet groove with it. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I feel very lucky to get to play with him right now because it's a nice balance from Lion King, which I do all the time. And to be able to dip out and do something that's so creative is like a, a really nice balance to have in my life right now. You know, it's an interesting thing about you playing with Charlie. I had Scott Amendola on the podcast. and um, oh, Scott's awesome. Yeah, amazing. And uh, actually went to study with him too. And the one thing, not the one thing, one of the things that I – that I really noticed about Scott and love about Scott is that he is one of the most connected, present people I've ever met. And when you talk to him, he is listening to listen. He's not listening to respond and he's legitimately taking that information in and processing it and hearing it and listening. And you 
saying all of this stuff is it I'm hearing you say this and I'm thinking that's exactly how Scott is too. And I think it's funny that both of you play with Charlie. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, so did you, you've met Scott in person, obviously. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's a, he's an amazing musician, but he's also an amazing guy. Like mm-hmm. I've only hung out with him a handful of times through Charlie. And I, I felt like within 10 minutes we were close friends, you know, yep. because of that, because of, you know, you can tell when someone's really listening to you and actually, caring about what you're saying versus kind of listening to you and looking over your shoulder and kind of glancing at their phone. And then like, all right, cool, man, I got to go. Yep. And I'm like, you know, why would I even want to stay in touch with someone like that? Mm-hmm. You know, they're just kind of mm-hmm. looking to get ahead or looking to get something from you or, you know, I kind of take everybody at face value. Like if everybody starts with a hundred points, I'm not starting everybody at zero. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, if I if like if I'm at Nam and somebody walks up to me and they're like, "Hey man, it's nice to meet you." You start with 100 points. You might drop to 30 points really quickly, but as far as I'm concerned, you start with 100 and maybe you stay there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I take everybody whether somebody said something bad about them and oh, be careful of that person or whatever. I'm not going to judge anybody until I've had an interaction with them. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think Scott's probably a lot in that same boat. And Charlie is also very particular about who he plays with um, because he is a great drummer and he understands groove and he's played with, I mean, he told me when uh, we started first playing together that he did a tour with Idris Muhammad, who's one of my favorite drummers. Mm-hmm. I was just like, man, no pressure on me to like, step <laughs> yeah. it up, you know, um, but it's cool because, and Charlie's reinforces. He's like, look, man, you have your thing. Idris has his thing. Scott had, everyone has their thing. And they're all great and they're all valid and they're all personal, which is so cool, you know? Right. A lot of this, you know, it's it's mindfulness, whether it be, you know, in everyday life or behind the kit when you're when you're on the bandstand. And for you, do you have do you sort of have mindfulness practices that you do? Do you meditate? Do you have is there conscious sort of mindfulness stuff that you do, or is it is it just something that naturally happens with you? Well, it's funny as you say that I'm like looking at my computer and there's like this little Buddha head and like a feather from this like red tailed hawk that I found outside of my house under my computer. But like, I don't want this to come off like, oh, I'm, I'm practicing, you know, Buddhism or any of this kind of stuff. Like, cause people start to check out or roll their eyes sometimes depending on who they are. But, mm-hmm. um, to me, it's not so much of, you know, meditating. Like I meditated when I was in college for a while because in Boulder there was this great place called the Shambhala Center where you could go and meditate. And they had like, you know, the whole bowl and the, the ringing. Like you mm-hmm. could just walk in, take your shoes off and sit down and meditate as long as you want and you just get up and leave. It was really cool. Um, and I, I kind of explored that a little bit, but I think just in general, I try to be as connected I don't know, just to all like, I mean, it sounds really cheesy, but just to like anything that's alive. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it sounds cheesy at all. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm picking out, we're getting a, We have two cats. Like I'm a huge animal fanatic and I mm-hmm. used to volunteer at this animal shelter in town and we're picking out a new puppy on Saturday, like day after tomorrow, we're going to pick out our new puppy out of like these seven dogs that have just been born. We're going to pick our dog. Um, I don't know. I just think like you should treat everything I just, you know, respect everything as much as you can. Like I used to squash bugs all the time in my house and now I'll try to like pick them up and take them out of the house. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I don't, I mean, it does sound kind of ridiculous saying that out loud, but I guess that's mindfulness or just trying to be 
you know, we're all just like such a very, very minute, you know, part of this planet. And then you look at the universe. I was just talking about this with a bass player friend of mine, Vashon Johnson, who's a monster. He's he played with Miley Cyrus for nine years. He subbed on Lion King for a long time. I mean, he's he's a legit, really amazing bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about all these like alternate universes. And like if you look at the universe from a distance, that it basically looks like the same thing if you zoom in on like an atomic scale, like the super huge infinite and the super small like, you know, nuclei of things almost look the same, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Look, you look at, like, Fibonacci sequences and you look at, like, golden mean ratio of, like, the way a wave breaks versus the way, a, a, like, a leaf curls over on itself. They're all exactly the same, you know? Hmm. Um, like, mathematically, if you look at all of that stuff, it's exactly the same ratios. So it's hard to think that there isn't something that's a little bit more connected than we want to realize or that we probably can't even wrap our heads around you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so i just feel like if you dip your toe into that pond a little bit it can't hurt you know yeah there's a uh the idea that we have we haven't been able to get out of our out of our galaxy and there's right. millions and millions and millions and millions of galaxies out there yeah that's like that's some mind-blowing shit well, and the thing is when you and now you can watch like, you know, all these specials on how small our little area is. And, you know, the first time I remember realizing I took astronomy in high school and I wasn't great at math, but it just that subject seemed fascinating to me, just space and the stars and everything. And when I kind of wrapped my head around the idea and I still don't think I've wrapped my head around it of the just the idea of infinity, like just never endings anything. Mm-hmm. And, like my brain just kind of hits a roadblock at a certain point. It was like, I just can't, I just can't fathom that. You know what I yep. mean? Yep. Um, and you know, there's all these space movies and you know, black holes and this and that, but it still is, you know, it makes when you're working on a single stroke role seem like not such the end of the world kind of stuff. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But it's also to me, like one of the most important things in my life is like to have th- my technique together so I can express what I want musically, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like you got to take everything with a grain of sand a little bit. And and I don't know. I mean, to me, it's just, you know, put your best foot forward, whether you're going to do do drumming or photography or be an investment banker or work at, you know, a fast food chain or open a rep, whatever it is. Like if you're going to do it, you know, my dad used to always say, like, if you're going to do it, don't half ass it, you right. know, like, go full in or don't do it. Mm-hmm. So. I think that kind of has stuck with me throughout kind of what I've done in my life. And, you know, I'm going to play drums as my main thing. I've kind of committed to that. Um, you know, when I stepped away from playing drums and then something as big as Lion King showed up and presented itself to me, which is like one in a million chance. Right. I kind of just said, you know what, that's either the universe or somebody telling me like, dude, you're on the right path. You should be doing this. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to stick with it. You know, I still take pictures and I still do other things and, you know, I, for a while I wanted to be a potter. I did ceramics in college and I, I used to throw like a hundred mugs on a weekend and then I'd give them out to all my friends and, you know, but it was always something that was creative that I wanted to do. I was never going to sit in a cubicle and crunch numbers. I just, there's no way I would rather make $5 a day than do that. You know, I'm the same way. I could, I could never do that. Even growing up, like my family has been in the restaurant business ever since I was a kid. And, uh, so we had a bunch of restaurants. I lived, I grew up there and then, uh, opened my own restaurant and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, So, and it's not like, it's not playing music, but 
it's not sitting in a cubicle. And exactly. That's, I mean, man, opening your own restaurant is a huge feat. So congrats on doing that. That's amazing. It actually, it, thank you. It doesn't seem that hard. Like, that's all I know. Like I grew up in the restaurant business, you know what I mean? So it was kind of like, sure, we'll just open up a restaurant, you know, like everyone else is like, oh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I guess it was just a little bit easier for me because I, I just kind of already knew what I was doing. Yeah. Well, look, man, it's still, that's like people It was say, a feat like, though. It was a feat. I was working 120 yeah, well, hours a week and all that. So that's the thing. You actually did it. You could sit around and say, oh, I could do this. I could do that. And you, you know, there's a lot of people that just never would do it and you did it, which is, you know, that's, that's cool. Like following through is the whole thing, you know, it is, it is. Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonic Clear Edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonic Clear Edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonic Clear Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. You might sit at the back of the stage, but the band revolves around you because you set the tempo, the intensity, and most importantly, the tone. The easiest way to set the tone is to play Evans Drumheads with Level 360 technology. They're trusted by industry-leading drummers like Chris Coleman and Anika Niles. These drumheads offer the most consistent fit for every drum for max tunability all around. Thanks to Level 360 technology, Evans Drumheads fit perfectly across the shell and allow for increased tension to help you find that sweet spot. To learn more about them, you can go to evansdrumheads.com. All right, let's get back into it with Carter. You were talking about quitting and not playing. What was the reason why you wanted to stop playing? Money? Well, yeah, it was just the business side of things. You know, like when you get into it as a kid, you're just looking at like, oh, I just like playing music with my buddies and like these bands. And I also grew up playing in the 80s when I started playing, when bands were like getting million dollar record deals left and right. Right. Now, and they were selling, you know, this band went quadruple platinum overnight. Like nowadays, that's like not happening. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's a very different industry now than it was in the 80s. You know, and not to complain about it, you gotta gotta readjust all the time in this industry. And basically in any industry, you're always having to recalibrate, which is super important. Right. Uh, And I think that weeds out the kind of the quitters from the people that really are in this, you know, but I just quit because I got sick of, you know, running around for less and less money every time I did it. And I was killing the gigs I was doing. I was totally delivering. And I was like, on any other job, if I was doing my job this well, I'd be getting promoted. But instead, I'm making less bread. This makes no sense to me. So I just kind of said, you know what, I'm going to do something that I can do on my own that I don't have to wait for someone to call me for. And photography I was already doing when I was on tour in Europe. I bought a camera and learned how to shoot manually with it on the flight over. I read the whole manual. And that entire tour was like a month and a half throughout Germany and Norway and Italy. And I just started shooting. And when I got home, I started selling prints. And I had a show at a local coffee shop downtown by uh, the Blue Note. Mm -hmm. And then I submitted two photos totally randomly to a a Smithsonian Institute competition 
And both of those photos got picked for the finals and one of them came in second place. So I was like, well, you know, it seems like I have some sort of eye for this. Maybe I'll just do this and then I can hustle on my own. But I was always going to play the drums. I wasn't going to just quit playing drums and sell everything. I just wasn't right. going to try to do it for my living, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then like Instagram, all of a sudden, I, I used to, I'm a big bourbon and scotch guy. Um, and I was posting a lot of like, you know, landscape photography on Instagram and like different rare bottles of, of scotch that I found. And then I posted like a drum video one day and all these people are like, man, this is awesome. You should do more drum videos. And so I just started making it a drum page and, you know, now it's like 32,000 drummers are following it. That's you know? insane. So it's just, you know, to me, it's weird because now I feel like this obligation to all these people that I have to show some crazy drum stuff all the time. But I've, I've kind of just come to the conclusion that like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And if you want to see some crazy drum stuff, there's thousands of other pages you can follow. But this is what I might like. I'm just documenting my kind of daily journey on mm -hmm. that. Once mm -hmm. in a while, there might be a crazy drum thing, and once in a while, it might just be me playing something just because the drums sound dope, and I'm playing something really simple, you know? Right. Yeah. I think, I, and I know that I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I get a lot of emails about it. I get a lot of people commenting about it. It's Everyone is concerned about, you know, how, how can I quit my job and how can I play professionally? Or, you know, if they're not playing professionally, then they feel like, or if they're not playing full time, they have a day gig. They feel like they're not a successful musician, and they're not, you know, they're not following their purpose and all this other stuff. And I, I, me personally, I don't subscribe to that. So I think that some people should do it for a living. Some people shouldn't, and I don't think that you should wear it like a badge of honor if you play professionally, but like you can't pay your bills. Oh yeah, I. Mean, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, some friends of mine that play on weekends in bands that have like a legit, you know serious job during the week they're like the happiest guys on the bandstand i ever see because it's like they're one you know one time a month or whatever they go out and play mm -hmm. um but you know you, at the end of the day man as an adult you got to be like look if you have a family or you're married or even if you're single it's like you got to provide some sort of lifestyle you can't just be like eating bologna sandwiches all the time you know right um, and not being able to pay your electric bill or whatever. It's If it gets down to that, then you really have to adjust and say, all right, I need to actually do something that I can make some money at. And it might not have to be a downer of a job. You might be like one of the greatest like architects that has ever been on the earth, but you just ha don't even know that yet. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, I think it's also being willing to be open enough to just try different things that interest you a little bit. You never know, you know? Mm-hmm. I, mean, so I didn't if, know I was going to do photography. I, right. just, I, I was into it one day and was like, man, I don't know if I'll ever be in the Arctic Circle in Norway again. I'm going to buy a decent camera and take photos of it. Yeah. That's how it's, it started. And then people were like, man, these are really good photos. You should look into printing these. And I printed some up. Then people started offering me a bunch of money for the prints. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do photography as a side hustle. And then it became kind of a main hustle. And then the drumming thing kind of sucked me back into it, you mm -hmm. know. Do you know Chase Jarvis? That's so funny you bring up Chase. I, I actually, like, interned for him when he was at the Ace Hotel in New York for a couple of weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a badass, man. I mean, he and his I follow his Instagram, I follow his podcast and everything. He's like a real hustler. Like him and Gary Vee and all of those guys – they, they all have a similar hustle and it's inspiring to see, you know, I actually just commented on one of Chase's photos the other day. Um, and he responded, he was like, that's right. You know? Yeah. But, he's a, he's a, uh, yeah, he's definitely 
a hustler, great photographer too. Um, oh yeah. But I had him, so I had him on the podcast. Um, oh, that's so cool! I didn't know that. Yeah, we were because I wanted to bring him on and talk about you know his his whole thing is how to create a living and a life out of out of your passion, and I thought that would be really good for the audience to hear. Totally. Uh, but I was joking with him, and, you know, he's a photographer, and when I started, I said the only way if you were a musician and I want and and you asked me how you could make less money, I would tell you to be a photographer. You know, <laughs> because they're like they're both they're both really hard to make money at. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah. I mean, when I told people I was like printing up business cards that said Carter McLean photography, they were laughing. They're like, dude, do you just always want to be broke? <laughs> and I was like, thanks so much for the confidence, everybody. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very yeah. much. But that's so funny you had Chase on because like, that's just another thing of being open, man. Like I was really getting into photography and I was following what he was doing. I mean, this is back in like 2000. What was he doing? Curating the hotel? He had an installation in the lobby at the Ace in uh, downtown. Okay. And and he was asking for people in New York on his website that were wanted to volunteer to come down. And he said, in exchange, I'll critique your portfolio and like have a meeting with you and go over what you're working on. I was like, dude, this couldn't be more perfect for me. Cool. So I'd go, I'd go intern and do my little rounds at the installation and, and help people out. And then I remember I went up to his room and he looked at my portfolio and was like, He's like, you have a hundred great photos. He's like, I want to see 10 amazing photos. That's it. I don't want to see a hundred. I want 10. I was like, okay. Hmm. But he said, I mean, he told me, he's like, man, you could do this if you really, you know, struck, if you push at it, you could do this. And it was an interesting time because I was already, you know, I had a bunch of big endorsements and I was subbing on Lion King and I was kind of about ready to just dip out. So it was cool of him to give me that advice and also, you know, he's, he's amazing at what he does. And to be around, I, I feel like everybody should take note, always try to surround yourself with people that are like light years ahead of what you're doing. Yeah. Because that's the only way you see how it really gets done. And it, at the end of the day, you just see that these people are working 10 times harder than you are. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. People think I just woke up one day and I could play all this stuff on the drums. It's like, dude, I practice every day. Is Am that I insulting to you? No, I've, but it just kind of makes it like, look, man, that's why, you know, you might think that, but this is why your single strokes and this is why your groove isn't happening. It's because you're not really committing to it. You're like right. sitting down at the drums for an hour a day, just kind of flailing and then you get up and leave. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't make you practice just because you're sitting behind the drums hitting things. It doesn't mean it's practicing. Right. And you, I think the one thing that you really hit on the head is that, well, one, getting in front of or getting around people who are light years ahead of you, which I want to unpack a little bit and, you know, see if you have advice to, on how to do that. But also the fact that these people who are excelling at, at, at such a high level, they're just, they're out working everyone. They're just oh, yeah. working that much harder. Like I know, I mean, I don't know Chase personally, but we've had, you know, a couple conversations outside of the podcast and I like the dude is always, I don't want to say he's always working, but the dude is working hard. He kind of is though. He kind of is always working. Yeah. I mean, he's not like Gary Vee always working, you know, but he's he, pretty close though. I mean, I'm, you know, you watch like, cause now it's so crazy. You could basically like live feed your entire life on Facebook or Instagram. You know yep, what I mean? Yep. And if, and if you have 5 million followers, you're going to probably have a million people following whatever you're doing. You could be making cookies in your kitchen and you'll have a million people watching you doing that. Right. You know? Right. Um, and it's kind of part of the business now. I'll meet companies, you know, big music companies now and within 
five or six sentences of meeting them. They're like, oh, are you on Instagram? And I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, oh, what's your account? Because they want to see who's paying attention to what you're doing. Of course. That's just part of the part of your resume now is your online social media presence is probably within the top one or two things, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they're as a company looking at, well, how can I get my product in front of all of your fans eyes? That's the business, you know? Um, But, you know, Chase will be at a barbecue at his house or something. And he's like, you know, videoing, this is how I'm doing the chicken. And then I'm going to go in this hot tub later. And he's, you know, (laughs) he is documenting his thing, man. And, you know, I do it a little bit. I'll do like a live Q and a once in a while on Instagram, or I'll do like a live video feed. Like I did a live thing the other night at, at uh, lion King for a little bit. I just turned the live feed on and put the phone facing my drums. And while I was playing lion King, so people could kind of see what, what it's like in the drum room. That's cool. Um, I, people know, dig that. I like, I, I mean, I do, I like watching sort of backstage, you know, or, or behind the scenes kind of stuff or like, you know, see how the sausage is made. Yeah. It's just something that most people like, you know, I get people all the time. Hey man, I'd love to come in and sit and watch you play Lion King. And I'm like, cool. You know, I'd love to have you. But like, if I said yes to everybody, there'd be a dude in my room every night. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And also Mm -hmm. Disney doesn't allow that. They're just like, it's, it's people learning the book only. And that's that, you know? Right. Um, so there's a lot of things I wish I could do, but I can't. So, you know, that kind of, falls into why I started doing four hands drumming as like an educational site. Everyone asked me, how do you tune your bass drum? How do you get that snare to sound that way? So the first idea was, man, I should just do videos on all these questions people keep asking me and just have it. So if you want, if you want to learn all of this stuff, you can subscribe for a year and there's like 15 lessons. Each one's about an hour long that breaks down like technique, tuning, my approach to like writing parts for songs. I mean, basically anything I can think of to help someone play, I've done a lesson on. Right. Um, And I've also had Charlie on as a guest. So we would play and I'd pick his brain about what he looks for in a drummer because he has a very unique perspective because he's played with, you know, Steve Jordan and he's played with everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So he has a really cool perspective. And then I had Tom Barney come in, who's the bass player at Lion King, but He's also played with like Miles Davis, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Elton John, Sinatra. Like his list is just stupid. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's way more valuable for a drummer actually trying to work to hear what a bass player wants out of you yep. than just like, here's another cool drum fill, you know? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's other websites that do that really, really well. And I'm not going to do that as well because I haven't been in that game for that long. This right. is like a neat thing for me. So I'm just trying to do it from a realistic, what, what would I want to learn if I was like a college kid right now that wanted to play professionally? And I would also, I mean, you know, the questions that you get asked, like the first thing that anyone knows about your, about you, as soon as they watch the first video of you is that your drums sound amazing. Always like it does. Like there's a, I don't know if you know this, but there's a Reddit, uh, um, thread about you. And oh, I didn't know that. It says that you cannot get a snare drum to sound like shit. <laughs> <laughs> so like it's known that you're, you know, you know that that your that your drums always sound amazing and then and you have this touch, you have this tone, you have this texture in your playing and that's natural to you, so why not, you know, talk about it? Why not teach people about that? Yeah, that's funny. I should read that thread. I'd probably crack up. Yeah. So I got I got to ask about like the the tone and the texture and and all that of 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 what you do and how you really develop is it just literally from like listening to records and recording yourself and re-listening and adjusting 
You mean that as far as just like tuning and like the sound I hear in my head? Yeah, I mean, just uh, the way that one, the way that your drums are tuned, but two, the way that you play those drums. And yeah, I mean, to me, they're kind of, I mean, they're kind of the same and they're also two separate things. So, like, I approach tuning in, in a couple different ways and I break this down in like full detail at the forehands lesson. And it's the first lesson I do is tuning because that's like your drum should sound good if we're going to move forward from there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, to me, my go-to kind of tuning, whether I'm in a rock band or playing with Charlie or a jazz trio, is kind of like middle tension to a little bit above of that. So like the the head isn't wrinkly and it's not that thuddy kind of pop rock tom sound, which sounds great. I love that sound for certain things, you know. Mm -hmm. But my natural way to play the drums is with an open sounding bass drum, but still has some punch to it, but it's still open. Um and for that, you know, like on my kit right now, I have two Remo fiber skin diplomats on both sides, no hole, nothing in the bass drum, and they're tuned like medium loose. And I don't mash the beater in the head, and if you hit it, that's what it sounds like, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I also think people, again, like I said earlier, hearing versus listening, they really have to listen to like small details in the drums. Like I'll, I'll have students, I'll detune a tom and say, all right, tune this to where you think it sounds good there's all these funky overtones and it's not balanced and it just has a weird ring to it. And I'm like, you think that sounds good? They're like, well, eh, sorta. <laughs> I'm like, that's the problem, man. It should sound awesome. And you shouldn't stop until it sounds awesome. Just keep going, you know, mess around. You're not going to break it, mm -hmm. you know, tune them up really high, tune them, tune one lug totally dead and tune the rest of the drum from there. You know, mm -hmm. try things out. You're not going to hurt anybody. You know, it's not like you're playing with anybody's life. You know, you're just, right. You're tuning drums, and that's the best way to learn it is just take a 12-inch tom and sit down and see what the top head versus the bottom head has relationship. You know, what what does the bottom – I'd never change the bottom heads tuning. When I change from super zing high bebop toms to, like, super fat low toms, I'm just changing the top head. That's it. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't change the bottom heads really ever. Unless I'm going for, like, the ultra super low – thud i'll detune the bottom heads a little bit but typically it's the top head um and it's also how you hit the drum like if you're just hitting the shit out of the drums you're gonna choke them you know people are always like pride themselves on yeah man that guy's great he hits really hard and i'm like that doesn't mean he's good you know anybody can just sit and beat the shit out of a drum that mm -hmm. doesn't take a lot of skill but it's getting a nice sound out of the drum so there's like there's a certain place. And I told this to the engineers at Lion King. They were like, we need more volume. And I was like, well, dude, you have a freaking volume. You have a volume knob right in front of you on your yeah, board. Turn it up. I was like, and I explained to them one day, I said, here's the thing. Go out there. I'm going to play as hard as I possibly can. Okay. And then I want you to, when I stop, I want you to turn the gain up like three or four dB. And I'm going to play the way I should play. And the drums will sound massive. And I did it for them. And they were like, you're absolutely right. The, the drums at the first round when I was hitting super hard sounded smaller. And when I played the second time when I was actually hitting lighter, they sounded bigger because there's more tone coming out of the drum, hmm. you know? Um, but again, I've been doing it for 30 years. So I've, I've kind of tried a lot of different things. Um, but tuning wise, everything's open. Toms, I try to tune. So they ring, you know, I don't try to tune it. So it's just thuddy. Um, and nowadays, there's so many cool products between like big fat snare or like snare mutes or, you know, what are they called? Uh, like drum dots. There's all these things you can put on the head to like mute it. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that I want to get is a nice open ringy tone because when you're in an audience, 
you're not hearing all that ring. You're just hearing a nice sounding drum, you know? Mm-hmm. And when it's super dead, it doesn't really cut through a band that well. It's just kind of stuck. It's cool for studio maybe, but live it's not happening. Yeah. I saw I saw uh uh Chicory and Steve Gadd and Steve had you know they had like all this tape, he had tape all over the cymbals and everything. Um and I was and thinking about thinking about you talking about this, I'm like, that sounds good for Steve because that's exactly what he wants the audience to hear. Right. You know, it's like he's, there's a, there's a definitive sound that he is looking for, but I think a lot of people just don't want to hear the ring. So they tape it up and then it sounds like shit in the audience. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and Steve can do, I mean, he can do whatever he wants. It's Steve Gatt, right. you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd listen to that dude play brushes on like a salad bowl. You yeah. Know? I'm sure you've seen the video of him play brushes on the, on the, uh, on the reel to reel tape. I haven't seen that. No? Oh, I got to look that up. Yeah, there's a video of him playing brushes and um he they're doing a video shoot and and uh why well, can't I think of the guy's name? He owned Hudson, Rob. Um oh, yeah. is holding the the reel to reel box and Steve's playing brushes on top of it. And it probably sounds like Steve Gadd, you know? It, it does. It sounds it sounds amazing. Yep. So, yeah, there is, you know, to me, there is a thing about the gear for sure, because I play like the George Way stuff for a reason. It feels like home to me mm-hmm. like that. I, I hear my sound. The first time I played one of Ron's George Way drums, I was like, oh, this is my shit. Like the other stuff I had is all going on eBay and this is my stuff. Um, and so like Ron and I have this great relationship. It's like I kick around ideas. He kicks around ideas. And then we come out like we did a signature snare last year that sold out in like a day. Um, and then this year we're going to do a new drum that's not going to be limited edition. It's, it'll be a small batch runs, but it's going to try to be an ongoing thing as long as we can get the wood. Mm-hmm. But that's a snare that's a 7 by 14 George Way snare. I can't say what the wood is yet because it's a very specific kind of ply setup. Um, but that's going to be announced at NAM, and those will be available probably starting the beginning of February. And that drum I've put up against all my other drums that I have here, and it sounds as good. You know what I mean? It's amazing sounding drum. It goes super low. It goes super high. Amazing cross stick. Great overtones. It's beautiful. It's not going to be crazy expensive, which is one thing I wanted to make it. I was like, I want people to be able to afford this thing, you know? Right. Um, so it's fun when you find your sound and the company you like to dig you know, to work with, to kind of explore different ideas, you know, mm-hmm. um, a gop symbols, I use their stuff and I couldn't be happier. I mean, everything Scott sends me sounds unbelievable. It's like so musical playing those symbols. Like I just, I can't imagine ever playing anything else ever again. You yeah. Know? Yep. Uh, and once you so find your sound, man, you know, you're done. Oh yeah. And that's, people are like, Hey man, can I send you this product to check? I'm like, no, I'm good, but thank you. Like I really, <laughs> and this has only been in the last like two years. I feel like I've started to figure out what I want to hear in my sound. And I've actually been able to find it in companies because it's not easy, man. And people are always looking for that perfect ride or this or that. And I kind of feel like I found all my stuff. Like all my bases are pretty much checked off or covered as, you know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the drumming thing is a never-ending journey, as everybody knows. But it's it's kind of being cool with the fact that it is just this never-ending journey. And just the fact that every day you get to play or work on stuff as a drummer, you should just be psyched you can do that, you know? Yep. 
some people can't even afford like a snare drum, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you have a set of drums and some crap cymbals or something, like make the best of it, man. Put some tape on them or do something like add a sizzle to it and and play your ass off. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. It's like I could sit down at like a really shit drum set with like, you know, one hi-hat set and, and I'd still sound like me, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just I might not be super stoked on the tone of the drums, but you're going to hear the way I play. Yep. You know? And if, if I don't sound like me, that's my fault, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting way of looking at it. So one last question. So you have, you know, you're teaching lessons, you, you have students, you have other people that you're trying to help them work through all their stuff. What's one sort of theme that you see that where people are making some mistakes or something that you've gathered from teaching a bunch of people um, that maybe are some mistakes that people avoid or, or something that you would, some sort of wisdom that you would impart on people? Uh, well, that's a good question. That's a tough one. But um, I think a really consistent kind of thread through most of the people I've taught in clinics that I've done, people ask questions is, you know, how, how, how do you get it to feel that way? Or how can I improve my feel or my groove? Which is kind of like a really, it's a very difficult thing to answer because it's so personal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to some of my favorite drummers about it. Like Jim Keltner is one of my favorite players and I, I got to know him a little bit on the periphery in the last couple of years. And I've sat in a room, just me and him and watched him play drums. And we've actually played a teeny bit together and it's kind of in your DNA, man. It's like Jim sounds like Jim, no matter what, you know, Gadsden's going to sound like Gadsden's, you know, everybody's going to have their thing. And to me, it's being patient in finding out what that is. You know, people are in such a hurry these days because everything's like high speed, this high speed, that download this instantaneously, listen to this record. And, and people, there's so much info that I think people shut down a little bit because it's overwhelming, which I don't blame them. You know, having something like Spotify or some music library where it's like, you can just say, Hey, play Bob Marley and it'll play every Bob Marley song ever written, you know? That was unheard of in the 80s. It was like you go out and buy cassette tapes and you're stoked on that cassette for like a month until you can afford another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I could give any advice to people, it would be be patient and and don't be in such a hurry to show off all the fast stuff. Because at the end of the day, as a drummer specifically, you're going to get called to play grooves. You're not going to get called to do clinics typically or do drum solos or teach even you're going to get called for some random gig on a weekend with like either a wedding band or a party band or your friend's band and you should be able to lay down a a nasty rock beat you know what i mean and a nasty rock beat can be really simple but it's you know some of the beats john bonham played were really simple but it's how he played them they felt so good because he had this kind of swing and swagger to his rock thing that made him so unique and he's he's one of my top three as well Mm -hmm. i mean bonham i don't care who you are you can't say anything bad about Bonham. And if you do, I mean, I'd love to hear about it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I guess it would just be slow down and, and care about the basics. That's what I teach, man. I sit down and I teach people singles and doubles and paradiddles and variations on how I practice them because that's what you use all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And most yep. people, single stroke roll, buzz strokes, all of those things that you use all the time are typically not happening. They're like totally overlooked because they want to do these powerful chopsy things and their, their body isn't ready to do that stuff. Right. I, I was talking to someone today about that, about, about chops and learning patterns and stuff. And I said, 
Anytime you see any of that stuff, all it is is a pattern that someone learned and just sped up and then copy and paste it into different things. And that's yeah. All. Like there's not a whole bunch of musical context going on. No, there isn't. And I can guarantee you when I sit down with Shelby and Charlie this week and we hit record, the drums that I'm going to play are going to be similar to one of the first beats I learned in sixth grade or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's going to be some pocket two and four, one and three on the kick, maybe some ghost notes. I might just set up kick snare hat and like a splash and or maybe a ride and that's it, you know? Yep. Because the music we're going to be playing, that's all you need. I don't need a bunch of toms. I might have like a floor tom, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's I think it's just kind of caring about the little things, you know? Because to me, that's where the stuff is at. It's all the small details. They're not these big fireworks going off. That's cool for a minute. Like people will pay attention to that for a minute, but long-term stuff is the real meat and potatoes stuff that a lot of people look past. Yep. 100% man, I think that is. I know it's boring. No, it's, it, it's but hey, I mean there whether it be drumming or, you know, I always say business just because, you know, I'm I'm a business dude, but like whether it be drumming or business or or you know, losing weight or being a great photographer or whatever it is, the stuff that p- makes you progress and the things that make you better and the things that make you really succeed are not the sexy things that are, that get all the accolades. It's the, it's totally. all the tiny shit of digging, you know, being in the trenches every day. Yeah. And Chase Jarvis will tell you that, you know what I mean? He's like, look, I know you want to buy this new Nikon lens and this new da da da, this new filter, just keep the gear you have and make the best of it. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. And I'm also a big fan of that too. It's like, keep the gear you have. Maybe if you have a real purpose, you got to save up for something, but you have to have a big purpose for it. You know what I mean? Don't just buy a bunch of stuff to have it because then it'll just collect dust on your shelf and you'll be like, man, why do I have that thing? Mm-hmm. I used to be that guy. I, would buy, I used to buy so much gear and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this with it or I'm going to do that. And then I just end up selling it, you know, a year later. Yeah. And you lose money. Yep. Yeah. It's stupid. But, you know, everything I have that I'm looking at in my studio, I have a lot of gear, but everything has a purpose. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I can do a full record in my house now and it sounds really good. Um, and I know how to engineer it. So I guess like to sum it up is just being patient, man. So many kids I teach are like, you know, 19, 24, like young 20s. And they're in such a hurry to like get on the next big tour and play all this stuff and get on this drum festival. And I'm like, dude, drum festival is going to like, A, not pay you any money. And B, it's not going to do anything. Like, I know it sounds cool to do that and it's fun, but it's only fun if you have a message to convey. If you're just up there to shed a bunch of chops, it's, it, it, nobody cares. You know, right. you need to have something unique that makes you, you. And it doesn't need to be fireworks and explosions. It could just be how you play the hi hat is super dope, you know, and being comfortable with that. That's something I'm still working on is just being comfortable playing simple stuff at clinics. And not having to like go nuts and mm-hmm. just to just to make the drummers there happy. Whereas it's almost more important to not do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I continue to rant. I, I apologize. No, I love it, man. I asked the question and you gave the answer and I appreciate it. Uh, I also I appreciate you taking the time to chat, man. I, I, uh, I'm sorry that you can't go into into work tonight to play and I, I hope you stay warm out there, but I do, uh, I do really appreciate this was super insightful, uh, on many levels. So I do appreciate it. Oh man, it was my pleasure, Nick. And, uh, you know, I look forward to hearing it down the road and listening to the rest of your interviews.
Good deal, man. Thank you so much. And yeah, again, stay warm, safe travels, and I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so so much, man. Thanks, brother. Great day. So there you have it. That is a wrap for the Carter McLean conversation. I hope you dug it. I hope you got some value out of that. And obviously for the links and everything that we talk about, go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 363. Also, I got a question for you and I've asked this before, but let me know if you read the show notes. Uh, They take a long time to do and some are longer than others, depending on how many references are in there or how many links and all that kind of stuff. So they take a while. I want to make sure that you're getting value out of them. So if you dig them, if you are enjoying the show notes, let me know because if not, I'm frankly, I'll just stop doing them if no one's reading them. So uh, let me know. Let me know if you want me to keep doing them. I don't mind doing them, but I don't want to keep doing them if no one's reading them. So uh, I figured I would ask. So let me know. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.